Want to enjoy a sweet cookie and still stay in ketosis? Two friends did just that with Keto Cookie. Christopher and Victor went on the ketogenic diet, lost fat, and felt amazing. But they wanted something sweet and convenient for their busy lifestyle. So they created Keto Cookie and now want to share this sweet satisfaction with you. Is this really keto? Low Carbers tested Keto Cookie with their glucose monitors and were amazed by the results. How is this possible? Keto Cookie is made with non-GMO almond flour, is naturally sweetened with erythritol and monk fruit extract, and has a healthy amount of grass-fed butter, coconut oil, and MCT oil to fuel your day. With less than 2 grams of net carbs, it's the perfect on-the-go snack to keep you energized and ready to inspire the world. Enjoy your chewy childhood favorites like chocolate chip and the cinnamony snickerdoodle, gluten-free, guilt-free, and bake-free. To discover more about Keto Cookie and how two friends are inspiring people to eat smarter but sweeter, visit KetoCookie.com and be sure to use the promo code LLVLC to receive 15% off your order. And follow them on Instagram for exclusive giveaways and specials at Keto cookie if you love great olive oil do i have a deal for you as one of my listeners you're entitled to receive for one dollar listen to this for just one dollar a 39 dollar bottle of one of the world's finest artisanal olive oils and what makes this oil really special it was just fresh pressed at the new harvest so it's bursting with more harvest fresh flavor any olive oil you've ever tasted. It's yours for just one buck to help cover shipping as your introduction to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And there's no obligation to buy anything now or ever. But what exactly is fresh pressed olive oil? And why is it so much more flavorful than store-bought olive oil? The problem with store-bought olive oils is that they can sit on store shelves for months, even years, growing stale or even rancid. The olive, after all, is a fruit. And olive oil is similar to a fruit juice in that it's much more flavorful when fresh pressed. And that's what's unique about oils from my friends at the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. They rush their oil direct to your door by plane and special delivery truck straight from the latest harvest. This means that you, your family, and lucky guests can enjoy top-of-the-line artisanal olive oils at their peak of harvest fresh flavor and nutritional value. This is great news for us low-carb lovers because pure fresh-pressed olive oil has zero carbs. Zero carbs! It adds whole layers of amazing flavor to your favorite low-carb dishes, your roasted vegetables, healthy salads, grilled meats, delicate fish, toasted nuts. Oh yeah! I can tell you from personal experience, once you try this fresh-pressed olive oil, you'll never go back to store-bought again. Try it yourself and see. For your 39 bottle for a buck, go to jimmyoliveoil.com. That's jimmyoliveoil.com. One more time, jimmyoliveoil.com. Are you an athlete who eats a low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet? Then let me introduce you to GoKetoAthlete.com. It's your one-stop source to find books, articles, movies, podcasts, and a member's blog all about maximizing your athletic performance using the keto lifestyle. GoKetoAthlete.com is set to become the world's largest directory of resources and expert knowledge on all things keto for that weekend warrior and elite competitor alike. 
like. They do this by cataloging the unique and collective experiences of its members all in one place. Start your free trial today and become a member of this rapidly growing community of like-minded athletes. Get yours at GoKetoAthlete.com and be sure to use the coupon code LLDLC at checkout to receive a complimentary 60-day membership to try it out for yourself. GoKetoAthlete.com The information and opinions provided here are for educational purposes only and are not intended to provide individual medical advice. Material conversations and statements found herein are not intended as and does not substitute for a personalized doctor-patient relationship. You are listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and The Doc. Featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and Surprise Arizona family physician Dr. Adam Nally. They are here answering the most pressing questions about a low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet. Visit our website, ketotalk.com. And now, it's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the doc. Here's Jimmy and Adam. Hey, hey, guys, we're back here with episode 58 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Visit our website. It's ketotalk.com. And each and every Thursday, we are here answering all of your questions about ketogenic diets. And if you're new to keto, welcome. Welcome, Ketonians, as uh, my my podcast co-host likes to say. He is Dr. Adam Nally. What's up, Adam? Hello, Jimmy, and welcome all you Ketonians out there. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And I, I got to start off the show with something because I got a complaint, a complaint dun, 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 uh, about the show. I know. Right. I know. I'm, I'm like the most lovable person in the world. I don't do anything to make people mad, but people get mad at me anyways. <laughs> and one of the things I got mad about last week's episode is I did two songs. How I, how dare I play a song in the middle of a podcast? The the first time was my phone going off because somebody was calling me and I had the Imperial March, the Darth Vader theme song. And then the second time you said something about happy and I played happy. So they didn't like that too well. So I have a a song just for them. Oh, no. Here it goes. Here it comes. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Somebody's driving down the freeway right now going, oh, my. Oh, man, he did it again. Yes, leave it to Jimmy Moore to do it again. That's my style. (laughs) Although a bunch of Ketonians chimed in and said, we like it when you're silly. So silly it is. Silly. You know, is. people remember science better when there's humor involved. That's a, that's a proven fact. Oh so. my goodness! Yeah, and and that's one of the secret sauces to this show, you guys. You know, the silliness is there by design. We we know a lot of this stuff's pretty complex, especially when the the doc gets all geeky, like I love him to do. But sometimes your head just starts spinning. So if you start laughing, it kind of relaxes a lot. I'm sure there's some science behind that, doc. Where you when you're smiling and laughing, you release endorphins and whatever it is you're experiencing at that moment you remember better oh you totally do and in medical school you know when we had all these huge numbers of things to to memorize we would often tie them to acronyms that were funny and if and you, you'll remember funny the first time you hear it there you go it takes a long time to memorize other stuff d-o-r-k <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> So, so you need to become a stand-up comedian and then get your medical degree and you'll be the perfect doctor Yes, exactly. There you go. Very true. Very true. 
Well, I wanted to start off the show with something kind of funny. Uh, uh, speaking of funny, uh, out of the mirror, this is a UK newspaper. Female prisoners demand less carb-heavy foods and moan that they're served too many pizzas, pasta, and chips. And I'm not going to read the article, but that headline alone caught my attention that these prisoners were like, hey, look, we don't want to get the health effects of eating all those crappy garbage. Can you get us something better? And guess what? They're actually going to get better food. I thought this was a really cool, uh, a cool story. It's actually really impressive that, you know, the prisoners are saying, hey, this is really bad food you're, you're giving us. And we'd really like something a little less carb heavy. The fact that they knew that was actually really impressive. They must uh, listen to the show. They Did they get podcasts the in prison, wherever this was? <laughs> I was going to say, you know, when you're in prison, they take away most of your rights. And so your right to ask for something other than French fries could be infringed This is there. true. They could but, just but, give them crap, crap. And well, you, you that's part of your sentence is eating crap. If, if I recall vaguely, prisoners used to be just treated with bread and water, given yeah. bread and water as their meals. But um, but it's it's good that in, in the UK they're actually listening to that and they're at least giving them some food that's somewhat healthy. That's that's good to hear. But that caught my attention that they're getting served. I don't want your pizza, your pasta, and your chips anymore. And a lot of people would just say, "Yeah, give me that, all that that you want," you know. And plus, if you're in prison, maybe you're thinking, "Oh, well, it doesn't matter," you know, how I eat and whatever. So at least these female prisoners in this particular uh, uh, facility were like, hey, look, there's there's a brighter tomorrow that I'm hoping to get to someday. So let's be healthy when we get there. I wonder if uh, I wonder if the fact that they kept having to get larger and larger orange jumpsuits for everyone was mm. was playing a role there, and there was an expense to that. So I know you're joking, but the, I'm, I'm joking. I, I, that's, there's a little humor there, but I, but you often wonder. Well, you know, to listen to a complaint of of a group of prisoners, there has to be some other reasoning behind that, and it may very well be that clothing wasn't fitting, and they were having trouble fitting them, or things of that nature. Especially with the, a female women's or women's prison, that that could be something to consider. Well, kudos to them for speaking up. Very true. Well, special thank you to Karen, Lori, Gina, Amy, Frank, Leela. Uh, I love this one. Sugar Dust Cookies and Cake. Yes, that's the name of a company that actually gave us a donation. So we're really appreciative of it. Maybe they make low-carb keto cookies and cakes. I don't know. Sugar Dust Cookies and Cake. That's wow. the name of the company. They didn't give a name, so I had to read that on the air. Thank That's you, impressive. Sugar Dust. Yes, appreciate that. And then the last one, Steve and Melody from the Tactical Kitchen. Uh, and they wrote, Jimmy and Dr. Nally, Steve and I appreciate all of your hard work bringing such awesome information to the public. We use this podcast as a great resource, along with your books, to help educate our client base and anyone that comes to us with a desire to change their diet and get on a better road to healthy living. We look forward to the Keto Cure book coming out in September. Love everything you guys are doing. You, you actually met them. Uh, I think they were. No, you weren't at uh, Fort Lauderdale or West Palm Beach. Sorry, you were in Tampa, not West Palm Beach. I was in Tampa. They I were was at West, West Palm, Palm Beach. Beach yeah. And uh, yeah, really nice couple out of Dallas, Texas. So well, thank awesome. you guys. And thank you, everyone who gave us a donation. You can definitely join them by going to paypal.me slash keto talk, or you can go to keto talk.com and click on the donate button. And that helps keep us on the air. 
So let's get to uh, the first kind of featured question. This was an interesting one because it just came through on Instagram. This lady was just all in a panic. And I said, please email me and we'll address it on this week's show. It happened over the, the past weekend. It's from Emily in Australia. She said, hi, Jimmy and Doc Nally. I've been a big supporter of LCHF and keto for years. I personally follow low carb. but I've, I've found it to be the only diet that prevents me from binge eating. It has given me a freedom with food I never knew I could have. I was at a brunch with a friend who was a nurse yesterday and was talking about how frustrated I am with the way that diabetes is currently managed by doctors and nurses here in Australia. But many dietitians and medical practitioners are too scared of speaking up about ketogenic diets out of fear of having their license pulled. My nurse friend told me she had a patient who only ate bacon and eggs in very small amounts and had to be admitted to the ER with ketoacidosis with ketone levels of 7.0 millimolar. According to my friend, a dietitian who was involved in her case said to her, quote, I hate this stupid keto diet. There have been so many cases of this, referring to the ketoacidosis, happening in the fa- past few years, end quote. I was a bit gobsmacked given that the chance of someone with a normally functioning pancreas developing this seems impossible because insulin would prevent this from happening. But then I googled this and I found that there was a case study of where this had occurred to a woman. I think we referred to this one before. She provided the link. I'm really perplexed by the whole issue of how ketoacidosis could possibly happen in someone eating a ketogenic diet this just doesn't make any sense to me i'd love it if you could discuss this on your show well we are today i love keto talk so much never miss an episode kind regards emily from australia so emily is concerned because her friend is putting out this notion that a ketogenic diet can lead to ketoacidosis i know we've talked about this before but is there any physiological way this could possibly happen well, yeah, there actually are. And, and you know, I've, I've had two cases that were similar to the case study or the editorial that she talks about in the New England Journal of Medicine article from 2006. Um, and and this, is where, this is where a lot of physicians don't understand the interrelationship between insulin, glucagon, and amylin, which we've talked about um, in various capacities in, on this show before. Um, the key in the article that she points out, that Emily points out, and I appreciate Emily bringing it up, uh, is that this particular patient was both restricting calories yes. and restricting carbs. And this is why I am not a fan of of, of caloric restriction, nor am I a, a fan of um, macros, because macros force you to restrict calories. Right. And the reason being is this. Um, Insulin, we know, um, usually is not secreted if your blood sugar is great is less than 60 milligrams per deciliter or 3.3 millimoles for those of you on the other side of the pond. Um, if the glucose level is staying down below that, you're not going to release a lot of insulin. Um, now, glucose is the most potent stimulus of insulin, but there are other things that would stimulate insulin. So amino acids, which we've talked about before, like your sea, your sea lion liver and, you know, shrimp and things of that nature do have a small insulin release when you eat those types of foods, leucine, lysine, arginine, any, 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 any protein containing those three amino acids, arginine, leucine, lysine, have a small insulin response. The stretch of the stomach uh, causes a release of GLP-1 and GIP, and that actually causes a stimulus 
process of a little bit of insulin release via the parasympathetic nerve system and the vagus nerve. So when you actually put something in the stomach and there's a bit of a stomach stretch, you'll get a little bit of an insulin release from that too. So if you're one that's restricting calories, and in this particular case in 2006, it appears that based on the way it was written, that this lady was very restricting calories down to like 1,000 or 1,200, but she was also doing very low carbs. So she eliminated carbohydrates using a very small portion of protein only and a small portion of fat. The concern in this particular case is because she she was one of those that was very sensitive to um, insulin, was not producing a large amount of insulin, but yet, her, and because she wasn't, her glucose levels began to creep to the 200, 250 range. Um, now, she had a completely normal hemoglobin A1C. So what that means is that her blood sugars only went up intermittently like that to the 200 range, but for the most part, they stayed low. And they stayed low because she was probably doing well, but because she wasn't putting hardly any glucose into her system and very minimal protein and it ended up shifting into a starvation state, um, this is one of those things that can happen. So if you hit a state of, of true starvation where you're actually just not feeding yourself enough fuel, the body will panic and it'll produce lactic acidosis. And then the lactic acidosis has a further blunting effect on glucagon and actually dampers that down even further so that you don't produce further insulin. And that can occur. Now, dehydration is another one I see. And I've seen it twice in Arizona where I had a person that was kind of borderline. They got dehydrated. They were they, um, And then the blood sugar spiked. They actually had an A1C that was about 5.6, which is pretty normal. But when they hit the hospital, their blood sugar was like 250, 260. Ooh. That shift plus the dehydration had the effect of, of causing an acidosis and then led to that that mild form of ketoacidosis. Now, many of these patients will have an acidotic state where their pH drops to 7.2 or 7.1, or even in the particular case of the patient that was written up in the New England Journal of Medicine article at 6.9 at one point. Um, this particular this particular case, the, the, they'll become acidic because the, the hydrogen uh, from the acidosis of the lactate and the hydrogen from the uh, um, ketone itself that kicks up, those two shift the, the acid level of the blood and, and make it hard for enzymes to function. And then the person becomes very ill, nauseated, sick, um, very, very fatigued. So in rare cases where for whatever reason, um, a person's not producing a larger amount of, uh, or it was not producing a normal amount of glucagon or there's no stimulus for glucagon to, to produce a small amount of insulin and, and bring those sugars down to where they need to stay. If for whatever re reason that the, the alpha cell within the pancreas doesn't do its job correctly, you may actually have this happen. Now, the two cases I saw, like I said, were, were driven by um, either heat exhaustion or, or a case of pretty serious dehydration, which can also drive it. Um, if you are, if, and this is where I, I'm, uh, I'm, this is where you hear me all the time say, eat fat until you're full. And the reason is that that simple stretch of giving your stomach a, sens a sensation of satiety also produces enough insulin to keep you out of the woods. So I'm not, well, I'm not saying overeat, but what we're saying is if you're giving yourself adequate protein, yeah. which is going to contain a little bit of arginine, leucine, and lysine, and you're giving yourself a little bit of gut stretch, you're going to get a little bit of that insulin release from that. You're, you're going you're gonna to stabilize this so that um, this won't usually happen. Now, are there rare cases where it's going to happen? There will be. And if you start feeling sick or, or you you, you follow a ketogenic diet and you're having problems all the time, then getting checked out to see, are you one of those people that, that you know, is, is doing well, that, that's something that needs to happen. So I, I'm very much an advocate of saying, make sure you check with your doctor, make sure we're not missing something. Right. The, these in rare cases can occur, um, but for the most part, if you're following the basic protocol, it usually won't. Now, when you start really cutting out, you know, calories, in addition to cutting out carbs, that's where you start to see this potential arise. 
That's, and, that's, that, go ahead. I'm sorry. And that's the danger because a lot of people come to a low carb ketogenic diet from a dieting mentality their entire lives, Jimmy Moore. <laughs> and, exactly. and so you, you kind of kick in old habits and the whole calorie counting habit is one that's getting people into trouble. So what I hear you saying, just so we're crystal clear about this, it wasn't the ketogenic diet that led to these effects that Emily is concerned about. It was the hypocaloric where glucose was basically not not being stimulated enough uh, to make an insulin response so that this would not happen. Is that right? That's correct. So now remember, it's not the glucose itself that's the problem. It's, okay. it's, the, it's the underlying, you know, you, you should have a, low, a normal baseline of insulin that's always present. If you cut out glucose, so, so the glucose is not stimulated in that basal glucose, that basal insulin, um, and you limit protein down far enough that there's no glucagon release to stimulate a basal insulin either, and you're not putting much fuel in your gut, so there's no stretch from the gut to also keep that basal insulin at a continuous rate, then the basal insulin rate drops and you can have an episode where blood sugar spikes. Got it. And, and because there's, the, there's no insulin to counteract it, and there's no glucagon to say, hey, you need to bump the insulin just a bit and control that sugar level um, and this that, and that's because as we understand it at least from the studies that are there that the that the blood glucose will usually not stimulate a, a blood a, a insulin response and unless it's over about 60 milligrams per deciliter or 3.3 millimolars um, the so there's really three different systems that allow for a small amount of basal insulin to stabilize you and keep you out of ketoacidosis if for some reason you 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 have a perfect storm of those three not being present then you could actually theoretically shift into ketoacidosis. In the case that uh, this uh, case study, it sounds like there was a caloric restriction as well as a carb restriction that put her at risk for that. In the two cases that I've had in the 15 years I've been doing this, in both cases it was it was a, a dehydration or, or um, heat exhaustion issue that caused that to happen. Yeah. Um, so so those are those are some of the things that could occur. Um, so you you had a spot on, but but it is important, and I'm I'm going on a little longer because this is the one risk issue and. Yeah. It's yes. important that people understand, and I, I still today see people on these these um, Facebook forums and things like that talking about, oh, you gotta, you know, you gotta restrict your calories, and you gotta cut your, you gotta, you gotta put yourself into this, um, uh, uh, you know, macro parameter, yeah. and it's and it's those parameters that I think um, do us an in service because it 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 increases the potential for this type of issue to happen. And Emily, let's be very clear, 99.9999999% of ketonians who are eating a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat, adequate-calorie diet, they're not experiencing this. So I think those very few exceptions, the rare exceptions being accentuated to say this is why nobody should be eating LCHF keto is kind of silly. Yeah, it's kind of like saying, you know, you know, because a few people had a car accident, you should never drive your car Plane crashes. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, we're, we're going to see some exceptions to the rule. And and we're, you know, we're identifying that there are there are some some periods where that can happen. Um, and so this is where I, I emphasize you know, get checked out by your doc. Make, before you start any diet, make sure that you, you, you're checked out. And if you're having a problem and the diet's not not seeming to do what you would expect it to do, rather than getting on, on a Facebook forum and asking somebody who's never been trained in this stuff to tell you how to do it, yeah. go see your doc. Get See a doctor and find out what's, what's actually happening. And if your doctor doesn't care about your ketogenic diet, definitely go check out the Low Carb Doctors website. I'm working on trying to revise that and make it look prettier and, and, and easier to navigate, but it, it's currently at low 
lowcarbdoctors.blogspot.com if you want to find a medical professional who can help you with this. And the doc is right. Have them watch you uh, with any kind of change in your nutritional plan. And uh, yeah, that way they can keep an eye on these kinds of things. So you don't have to worry about it. Rachel. Well, let's get to the study portion of the show. And we have not just one, but two. We have so many people sending us things to talk about. that If we just wait, it's going to be like 2037. Back in the good old days, Doc. So, so I wanted to kind of uh, double up here this particular week. And one of these just came out. The first one we're going to talk about just came out February 27th, 2017. So hot off the presses. The effect of low carbohydrate diets on fertility hormones and and outcomes in overweight and obese women. So this was a systematic review of other studies that have already been out there. The interesting thing was they took a look at these ones that that saw the relationship between uh, infertile women and low-carb diets. And of course, their definition of low-carb is less than 45% of calories from carbohydrates. So not exactly low, but Go with it here. Uh, so yeah, they, we're getting started. It's we're getting started. Point. So what they did, they took it, uh, uh, took a look at seven studies that were all filling that criteria, and they found that six of them uh, showed that there was a low risk of bias, and one study rated as neutral. And of the six studies which reported changes in reproductive hormones, five of them reported significant improvements post-intervention. So the conclusion of this systematic review, Adam, and this is what. What's exciting is the the findings of these studies suggest that low carbohydrate diets warrant further research to determine their effect as it relates to fertility. So is this exciting? Oh, it's very exciting. And what's exciting is it wasn't just that it wasn't just that they they showed success in fertility outcomes, but they showed improvement in overall hormone uh, in, in in those six studies. Yes, and they showed improved pregnancy rates yes. uh, in those six studies. So so it, w- it was a, 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 a number of set points they actually looked at that were all positive in that regard. And so it's exciting. It's exactly what those of us that have been doing low carb for years have been seeing uh, in our clinical experiences. And it's one of those things where, I, you know, I always tell people, if you're fertile and, you, and, you're, uh, and you're starting a low carb diet, be wary because you might get pregnant. Um, <laughs> so just be, be wary of that because it does, it does actually help improve overall hormone function and uh, your ability to conceive um, because it's improving because insulin resistance and the PCOS yep. that tends to block a lot of uh, women from being able to get pregnant right exactly exactly and it helps the men in regards to overall testosterone function and their ability to to produce adequate um, you know, um, sperm and things of that nature that are, that are essential for that whole process to work yeah so that was in the journal Nutrients, February 27th, 2017 edition. And hopefully uh, the NIH is noticing this and, and picking up on this uh, this review from McGrice and Porter. So thanks to them for, you know, having the kahunas, I guess, to put it out there and say, hey, look, we need more research in this. We know from these other research studies that it's effective. Now let's prove it uh, on, a, on a larger scale in a, in a randomized controlled clinical trial and really put the research out there to help people. And this is really how other studies get funded is they say, look, you know, there was this, there was this literature review and we had six very positive outcomes. Can we get funded for another, another really nice study? And this is exactly how the process should work. Right. 
So we had one other research I wanted to talk about, and this was in on a website called Lab Roots. New research shows, get this, fructose can be made in the brain. It's well known that too much sugar is bad for you. There are complications from a high sugar diet that include diabetes, obesity, cardiac issues. When food is ingested, the body converts what it needs into energy into a simple sugar known as glucose. Glucose is needed in the cells to make muscles work efficiently. It's needed in the brain for cognition and synapses. The problem begins when there's too much glucose to be absorbed into the cells. And when that happens, the cells of the body are at capacity. Any excess glucose spills over into the bloodstream. So yada, yada, yada. The thing that was fascinating to me was they cited research out of Yale University that shows that the human brain itself can produce its own sugar, but it's not glucose. The team at Yale published a study that showed via specific MRI scans that the brain produces fructose when blood glucose levels increase fructose is the sugar that occurs naturally blah 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 but so they asked how does it work when glucose levels become elevated in the body in addition to causing high blood sugar and other complications some of the glucose is converted into fructose using a process known as the polyol pathway and this pathway is a chemical reaction that is often seen in diabetics when their blood sugar levels fluctuate and are not controlled the team at Yale reported that their research showed that the polyol pathway is at work in the brain and that it results in fructose being produced there. Did this shock you at all? I actually spewed my exogenous ketones <laughs> out of my nose as I read this study and went, are you serious? Holy crap. <laughs> um, it, it, if I had no idea. Um, now, Is this it's interesting. neogenesis, fructoneogenesis? I, they got to create a whole new term for this, neofructogenesis or something interesting that way. Um what, what was fa- they took health? I thought, okay, this is a mouse study or something. We we know that some animals actually do produce fructose in their brain, um, but we've never seen it with humans. Uh, so they took eight lean, healthy individuals, eight healthy people, IV, yeah, yeah, eight. They gave them IV glucose. Now this is a this glucose is just the single molecule of glucose, and within twenty minutes, the MRS or the magnetic resonance spectrography, say that fast, real ten, ten times, um, revealed yep. rising levels of fructose. Um, so what they saw was they saw fructose levels rise in the brain, but not in the bloodstream at the same time. So they surmised the brain must be making fructose because it didn't change in the bloodstream. So there has to be a reason. So my first question is, why in the world would the brain need fructose right. and, and which cells of the brain are using fructose, which means there's a whole lot of information about fuel use in the brain that we don't understand. Um and then they then they surmise that well if this is happening in levels of high glucose without the glucose being able to cross into the blood brain barrier because of a lack of insulin then then you know is is the high fructose a cause of maybe some of the other uh, neurodegenerative changes like um, Alzheimer's dementia or, or Parkinson's or some of these other disease processes where the brain starts to show show change so that it's a it's a it's a wonderful uh, signal to say hey there may be a whole lot of other me- metabolic things that we don't understand about the brain uh, going on and so it was actually that's why I spewed you know drink out of my nose as I was reading this but oh my gosh I had not seen this um, and it's really fascinating it's really kind of cool so i'm sure there's going to be a whole arm of of science into what is you know what other um uh monosaccharide or single uh fuel source uh sugars can the brain use other than glucose or or, uh, fructose and where's the fructose being used so so i was excited and and i think we're going to see some cool science come out of this yeah i had never heard of fructose being made by the body in any part of the body 
It's kind yeah, of weird. It's, well, we know that there is a polyol pathway, so the body can convert uh, glucose into fructose, which is, and, and, I, and I'd have to look it up again, and you may be able to shift back and forth. But the, re- you know, the question is, what would be the reasoning that that, that, that enzymes would be driving it that direction? There has to be a, a legitimate reason whether you know a, a segment of the brain, when it feels like it's in absence of any fuel, is going to convert it to another fuel to be used. That's, yeah. that's the interesting part. So. Good questions, and it raised about forty question marks, you know, in my brain. Going, holy smokes, we got something new. We got to figure out here. So exciting. Were the question marks driven by the fructose in your brain? <laughs> they probably were. That or that or the, uh, the, the 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 stuff coming out of my nose. When the, I speak. Yeah, the spewing exogenous Boston, ketones. Boston freezed and and was kind of taken back all at the same time. Yeah, it was like two dollars worth of exogenous ketones. You just came out of your mouth or your nose. So it, it probably yeah. We probably need to do a study of what happens if you're in, in, inhaling exogenous ketones through a liquid base in your nose. Yeah. Well, well, guys, we have lots of great questions from you today, and we'll get to those right after this. Are you looking for an online store that would have all your ketogenic products in one place? Then let me introduce you to OneStopKeto.com. Once you get there, you'll see personally selected products by me, and they do have the largest selection of keto-friendly products. There are no membership fees, and you'll get free shipping on all orders over $99. Use the coupon code KETOTALK for an additional special discount for listeners of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. They ship to the U.S. and Canada, and they have five-star amazing customer service. If you have any questions and looking for specific products, they are there for you. So head on over to OneStopKeto.com. Are you looking for high-quality supplements to complement your healthy, low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic lifestyle? Well, look no more as I've teamed up with ketogenic practitioner and my Keto Talk podcast co-host, Dr. Adam Nally, to create the Keto Living line of supplements. Go to ketoliving.com to see our first two items available for you, the Keto Essentials Multivitamin and the Berberine Plus Blood Sugar Control Formula. Dr. Nally himself hand-selected the key nutrients included in the Keto Essentials multivitamin, including vitamin D, methylated folate for those with the MTHFR gene mutation, vitamin B12, CoQ10, and so much more. And if you are concerned about elevated blood sugar and cholesterol levels, then check out our customized product called Berberine Plus, which combines the anti-inflammatory power of berberine with therapeutic levels of chromium and bonobo leaf. And we're just getting started on the Keto Living brand of ketogenic-focused supplements in 2017, including the first-ever high-fat meal replacement powder to help you ditch those problematic protein powders coming soon. Go to ketoliving.com to get your hands on these exciting new supplements to enhance your ketogenic diet. Ketoliving.com. They're back and better than ever at JimmyLovesFBomb.com. They are the F-Bomb company. Fat is smart fuel. They have made some incredible products for the ketogenic community, and they make keto easier. They have products that include coconut oil, macadamia nut oil, house blend, MCT oil, olive oil, avocado oil, macadamia nut butter with sea salt, macadamia nut butter without salt, coconut butter, macadamia nut butter blend. They also have salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. These are all available to you now at jimmylovesfbomb.com 
And if you head on over there now and you use the coupon code Jimmy Loves F Bomb, they'll give you 10% off of your first order. Jimmy Loves F Bomb.com. Do you find it challenging to get organ meats into your healthy ketogenic lifestyle? Don't you wish you could get all the benefits of consuming these traditional superfoods chock full of nutrients without having to cook or eat them? Well, let me introduce you to the brand new grass-fed organ complex supplement from Paleo Valley, makers of the deliciously juicy grass-fed beef sticks. They use gently freeze-dried ingredients, including all grass-fed, grass-finished beef liver, heart, brain, and kidney to give you a flavorless, power-packed punch of nutrition you won't be able to replicate beyond eating all of these organ meats in your diet. Each bottle contains a 30-day supply of easy-to-swallow pills with the fillers or flow agents added. They're gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and non-GMO. Go to paleovalley.com slash LLVLC and use the coupon code LLVLC to get a generous 20% off your order. Try it today to get a 60-day, 100% money-back guarantee and see how you like the grass-fed organ complex for yourself. That's paleovalley.com slash LLVLC. We're back here with Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. We went a little long in that first segment. We don't usually go that long, but we had some good stuff to talk about at the beginning of the show. But let's get to the part of the show that a lot of people like, and that's answering the questions, Adam. And the first one is from Steve. Steve says, hey, what's up, guys? I'm a 36-year-old Ketonian from Alaska. I've been on the ketogenic diet for the past four months, losing a total of 50 pounds. Great job, Steve. I have a weird question for you that I haven't seen covered anywhere. Uh Uh-oh, this can't be good. Can ketosis have an impact on your voice? I'm noticing that my voice has been a bit more raspy lately uh, since starting the diet where it feels like I'm about to lose it. This always forces me to clear my throat, but it has little to no effect. Does this have something to do with my beloved buttered coffee, or is there something else in my ketogenic diet causing this? Thanks for the show. You guys are killing it. Steve. So this was a funny one to me. As someone who speaks for a living, I haven't noticed anything change about my voice unless I'm sick, like with a cold I've had, you know, off and on the past few months. But I've never heard of anybody having their voice change as a result of ketosis or a ketogenic diet. Is he on to something with the butter maybe in the coffee? I think he is in that part of it. You know, what the, I, I've had a couple people tell me that who are singers that tell me that they're actually able to hit a more broad range tone when they're in ketosis more effectively. Like yeah, that. It, 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 uh-huh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I know you do some singing too, Jimmy. So I do sing. And, because you speak so much, um, I, I personally know that I actually feel better. My voice seems to be more comfortable when I'm truly in ketosis. And, but I've had that just gen- generally from clinical uh, indiv- you know, individuals say that as, as, we're, as we're talking. Yeah. But there's never been a study that I've seen. However, we do know that the vocal folds, uh, which are what actually make the sound as you talk, um, can be inhibited by a number of things. Now, 
I, I'm assuming that um, when Steve says his beloved coffee means he may be doing a Drink larger a amount of it. Of it. <laughs> and caffeine will actually cause or stimulate some mild reflux. And I know that uh, there are the two main causes of hoarseness or change in voice is either allergies. And it doesn't sound like he has that. But it does sound like if he's drinking a lot of coffee and he's getting a lot of reflux from increased caffeine, he could be irritating the base of the vocal fold, causing a slight amount of inflammation, making him feel like he has to clear his voice or, yeah. or uh, feel somewhat horse without actually bringing anything up when he coughs or tries to clear his voice so that's that, that's kind of the one little signal in his question that says maybe ding, some ding, 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 mild ding. reflux there yeah. but I, I don't I don't know of any other science or data and I actually tried to do a literature search to see if there was something related to voice change and there wasn't so um, yeah I've never heard of this at all and uh, so it was kind of a different you see what I did there I made my voice change <laughs> I, I, I saw it I, I heard that like yeah. a little 14 year old kid and uh, you talk like this. <laughs> no, uh, Steve, we haven't seen this before. Is there anything besides uh, butter, I guess, anything that would cause the acid reflux? Uh, I, I suppose MCT oil might do that same pathway of, of causing this. Some people get some some exacerbation of their MCT with with it, but you know the, the key is caffeine, peppermint, and chocolate. Those are the right. three common caffeine-like substances that can induce a relaxation of the the sphincter at the stomach and cause the potential for reflux. So, um, if he's putting a lot of peppermint in it, or he's doing, um, you know, uh, uh, it's a chocolate-flavored coffee. I know some people yeah. like to put a little chocolate. Mocha no more chocolate peppermint there. lattes for you, Steve. Yeah, yeah. So. Just that's that's really what I would would think maybe causing hoarseness if yeah. someone's using a lot of their buttered coffee. Yep. Well, Steve, thanks for that question. We're going to move to the second featured question of the day. It's from Suze. Suze says, "Hey guys, I'm totally new to this whole keto concept. Welcome, and I'm not ready to dive all the way in just yet. I love a lot of what you say on this podcast, and I found reading Dr. David Perlmutter's book Grain Brain was a real eye opener. My question is whether simply reducing carbs a little to more of a moderate carbohydrate diet can make enough of a difference in my health without having to be so severely limited as happens when you go ketogenic. I'm a bona fide carboholic, but not overweight. I just want to be healthier and fitter. If I replace my carb heavy choices with lower carb, higher fat ones instead, can I expect to experience the health gains you talk about on Keto Talk? Maybe I'll try keto someday if you think I need it. Thanks for all you do, Suze. So Suze has a, a question. It's is simply cutting carbs and eating more fat in my diet enough without having to go full fledged keto. And we've talked about this quite a bit, Adam, where not everybody necessarily needs to go keto. There's definitely no downside in it for practically anyone to eat a ketogenic approach. But I think the, the key little ding, ding, ding in this question is I'm a bona fide carboholic. That, that's your telltale sign, Suze, that you probably would benefit from going more keto than not. What do you think? Oh yeah, totally. I, you know, I well, I, I would say to Suze, Suze, what you're asking is is you know can can you limit the carbs? And we have a name for what you're wanting to do, and that's called paleo. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, when you mildly limit carbohydrate, you, you hit a somewhat paleolithic type of diet. Now, paleo has an additional definition of of some 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 more natural type foods where you're eating more real food. But w when you do even mild carbohydrate restriction, many people see significant benefit from that. Now, m some people who are true carb addicted carboholics may 
may not see the the true weight reduction that you want to see, but you'll often see some tremendously improved uh, energy levels and better sleep. Uh, you'll you'll find uh, that you your cholesterol and blood pressures improve even with mild carb restriction. So those are the things that I would see from the perspective of you know what can you get from just doing low carb. And many of us who started doing this 10 or 15 years ago were just doing low carb originally and saw tremendous weight loss and benefit uh, initially. But then we hit a plateau and we when we and when we understood what that plateau was and we realized we had to go a little lower on the carbs to truly be, get into a ketogenic state then we found that, that the weight loss was was even more effective with that for many people not all but for many and so right. um, it's okay to walk through the degrees of this no, nothing wrong with that and and I think Sue's uh, thinking that she's not overweight she just wants to be healthier and fitter you know weight doesn't always tell the whole story some of us are lucky we get weight that shows up <laughs> Jimmy Moore. Uh, so you see it on me, whereas somebody else may have some of the same kind of metabolic issues underlying or worse uh, than someone with weight on their body. And the fact that they don't have weight on their body, I think it puts people like Sue's in more of a dangerous position of thinking that they're OK when they're really not. Very, very true. And, and that's the classic example is the guy that does marathons all his life and then at 52 dies from a heart attack. You know, he says, I don't understand. I'm healthy. But when you actually look at his cholesterol profiles, his cholesterol was astronomical. His triglycerides were way high. Um, and he had tremendous amounts of inflammation in his body driving the process of, of the, that vascular disease. And so he was a slender guy and he ran for, you know, 33 miles, uh, you know, on in competition and did fantastic things that way. But yet he was metabolically sick. So, um, you know, just because you're not uh, seeing the signs of obesity as one of the factors of that insulin resistance, um, you, you, you would benefit from it. And then the other thing she said, just lowering carbs to kind of a moderate level. So I'm assuming she's referring to maybe like 100 to 125 grams, which might be good for you, Suze, but we don't know. Uh, so I, I guess it's kind of a tinker and test. See how it works for you. Definitely dip your toe in the water of keto. Go below 50 grams and moderate down the protein and eat more fat to satiety and see how you do. I'm not sure why she's uh, hesitant to try it, but give it a try. Let us know what you think about it and i think she'll be surprised adam to see how much she actually does enjoy it oh i'm sure she will i'm sure she will yeah well suze thank you for that question let's move on to the very third last uh, uh featured question of the day before we get to the keto talk mailbox Anne has this question hi guys your podcast accompanies me to and from work during the week i enjoy all the great insights that doc nally has from his clinical experience Way back in episode 16, yes, we're still trying to get caught up on emails, so this is a while ago, the doc mentioned that the rate of weight loss is rapid initially, 5 to 15 pounds a month for the first three months, then slows to a comparative crawl, 2 to 5 pounds a month thereafter. He said there is a high probability of a weight loss stall, and I'm currently in the midst of that for the past year. I'm active on several low-carb message boards, and I see many, many people getting frustrated by this slowing of their weight loss after rapidly losing a lot of weight in the first several months. Dr. Nally also said that if you have a lot of weight to lose, it can take several years to do it. I would love to hear more about this and any recommendations on what non-scale victories I should be looking for to help keep me motivated. I've talked about this with my low-carb doctor who says I'm at my set point goal weight now and have nothing to worry about. 
Can you guys address this whole idea of a set point in your weight and whether I am worrying too much about this? Yes, you're worrying too much. Uh, thanks so much <laughs> and keep on ketoing on Anne. That, that is the answer to a lot of these things. You know, people like, am I worrying too much? Yes, just whatever. Yes, you're worrying too much. <laughs> but uh, Anne wants to know, what are those non-scale victories that I should be looking for when weight loss dolls uh, come on while eating keto? And is this whole idea of a weight set point real or not? First question, non-scale victories, things like blood markers, like uh, inflammation markers, uh, fasting insulin levels, fasting blood sugar. Uh, are, are these things that are of value to people when they're not seeing the weight move on the scale? You know, they, they are, at least clinically what I see they are. Um, I, I see improved energy, improved sleep, clearer skin, improved thought and cognition, um, generally less hunger and a, a better control of appetite, uh, a decreased amount of general inflammation all overall and in many and in many capacities, reduced r- risk of kidney stones and gout. Um, I've got one guy that he just says, Doc, I, I don't care what my weight is. I just don't have any gout anymore. And this is great. Um, you know, reduced cholesterol levels and triglyceride levels, improved blood pressure so you can get off blood pressure medicine or never have to start it, uh, which you theoretically would down the road if you were following the SAD diet. Um, regular menses, improved fertility, which we've talked about before. These are all some fantastic markers to say, what really is happening to me um, as I've done this? And, and are these benefits alone worth maintaining the diet? And in many cases, I personally and, and from patients, they tell me that they are. Now, remember, the set point is really a hypothesis. There's there's nothing that says that's in stone. And it's people hypothesize, well, this is your set point. Um, I, I suspect, and again, this is Dr. Nelly's hypothesis, that some of the slowing that's occurring is because we actually have to have genetic remodeling. We're turning on and off uh, genetics, uh, epigenetic, epige, epigenes, or um, these oncogenes that turn on and off that, that change the way we begin to metabolize f- food and fuel and uh, hold fat and store muscle. And we have a shift from yellow fat to brown fat. And so there's a number of these processes that take um, six to 12 months to start to happen um, when you start to change the diet. And so people get really discouraged because, you know, their, their, their scale's not dropping dramatically, but yet they're gaining muscle. They're still losing fat. And so, like I've said initially, throw the scale out or give it to the neighbor you don't like. Um, (laughs) Watch your pant size because as your pants shrink, you're going to see success. You know, keep a a dietary journal. I can't emphasize how important that is because, you know, you'll be able to tell um, yeah, I feel good today and my sleep is better and I'm, I'm experiencing these issues. And, um, and it's, you know, and I appreciate the fact that she's on boards or message boards or with, with, uh, support groups, because talking about these things actually is, is one way to really keep, keep you motivated, motivated. Well, yeah. the challenge is that if you're getting advice from these boards, uh, you have to be careful how that advice advice is coming. Cause sometimes people get caught up in, in talking about all the negatives and that just becomes discouraging altogether. So, so you want to make sure that the, the support group is actually doing support, not, not, um, not, not criticism. And that's what, one of the challenges. There's negativity arises. online. I did not know that. <laughs> You know, once in a while you might see that, but you just have to, yeah, but, but I, she's doing great. And I, and, and, and realize that, you know, we hit plateaus. Now that worry plays another role because it's, it, I have a number of patients that just the worry about weight stops their weight loss. And they, you know, they're, they're so, they're, the brain is so powerful. Yes, don't worry. Be happy. They don't need to worry. You said, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Very true. It's all your fault that time. <laughs> it is. Yes, that's my yes. I, that's just, I can see the music, little bars of music above my head as I'm singing. Don't worry. Yeah. Yes, but hang in there, Ann. 
And then Anne's second question about the weight set point. She's kind of skeptical about this whole thing. And it's kind of it's kind of frustrating her at this point because she feels like she needs to lose a little more weight. And she says she has a low carb doctor. I don't know who that is, but um, they said you don't have anything to worry about. So, you know, how does she reconcile that in her head? Well, she's not. That's why she's writing the question to exactly. us. <laughs> is it's not being recognized. And again, and it's you know, a lot of us as docs, we don't know everything. And if your doc says they do, they they need to, you. You may want to find a new doc. Get their head examined. Um, yeah, <laughs> we don't know everything. And and there are periods of time when people come into me and I and they basically say, Doc, I've done all these things, and I go you've done it all. And I, I don't have the, I don't have an answer. So this is where, this is where, you know, going back and saying, okay, well, there has to be something that's, that's driving this process. Uh, we just don't see it yet. And, and so keeping the diet journal, that's why I'm such an av- avid fan of that because people actually come to me after having hit a plateau and I've gone, you're doing, you're doing it all right. Be patient with yourself. And they come back to me and say, you know what, there was this one thing I was doing and I didn't realize this was, was a playing role and it, it helped change it. Um, and so you'll find that that's the case in, in many, in many, many cases, I should say. Um, but if, if it doesn't sit right with you, then, then that's your that's your conscience to you saying, hey, something there's something more that we, we've not covered. There's a stone you haven't turned over yet. Something along those lines that that really is playing a role. And again, I'm I'm convinced after doing this for 15 years that, that there are 27 hormones that play a role here. And one of those 27 hormones we just haven't identified correctly in Anne, if that's the case. And there might be other hormones that we don't even know about that could be playing a role. So, yeah. We just learned that your brain makes fructose. So that's <laughs> know, a whole, right? that adds a whole another dimension to, to, to this, which my, my brain's already racing going, whoa, there's, there's a couple things that we could start looking at there too. So fructoneogenesis is going to catch on, man. <laughs> oh, well. Just- Thank you, Anne, for that question. And we are up to the Keto Talk mailbox portion of the show. And this was a really uh, heart-wrenching one uh, as I was reading it. I'm like, oh, this this person actually connects with so many people, I'm sure. So, Kathy, thank you for your question. Hi, Jimmy and Doc Nally. I just want to say how much I love your podcast. You guys just fit together in an awesome way. Seem to be having the best time while delivering fantastic information. Yes, yes, we are. I'm a 57-year-old woman and did keto a couple of years ago for about two months, lost 35 pounds. I went to my doctor who wasn't against keto, but he told me this was a difficult diet to stay on. This planted a seed in my mind and I ultimately quit my ketogenic diet because of it. I gained back all the weight I had lost and have had a horrible time getting going again. My husband wants to eat everything in sight and that doesn't help me get back on track. He had three stents put in in November and would greatly benefit benefit from eating keto as well. I feel defeated right now just needed to reach out to someone who knows the truth. I'm going to start again, but already have the mindset that I'm going to fail. I know that won't help me, but it's where I'm at. How can I help myself and convince my 60-year-old husband that he needs to do this with me too? Maybe I can convince him this will help our love life. Uh, If I could convince him of that, he'd be willing to give it a try. I have to hit him with something important to him. Thanks so much for your help, Kathy. So Kathy's pretty typical probably of people that have come to see you, Doc. Um, And she wants to know, how can I get motivated again on my keto lifestyle and convince my husband to join me this time? And I got to tell you, I want to hit that doctor upside the head. Why are you discouraging a patient who's seeing great success eating a ketogenic diet just because you think it's too hard to stick with? Yeah. And that's, that's a challenge and it's, it's, that's hard. Um, and, and it is discouraging for a lot of people, I guess with Kathy, you know, three things I would say to Kathy and, and, um, 
and I, and I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I'm going to put on a, a little bit of a psychology hat for a minute and say, because this is the next step that I've found as a, as a bariatric doctor, or a doctor who treats obesity is that about 60% of the challenge is, is the psychological aspect to weight loss in general. And then, and changing your diet really is, is you're, 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 it's a huge psychological lifestyle change. And so Jimmy and I often refer to this as a lifestyle, not a diet. And it's really important that you look at it that way. So three things I'd say is number one, your example uh, as you maintain a ketogenic lifestyle, um, whether you realize it or not, plays a huge role. Um, I, I, I have, and I know Jimmy has, people that, that send us messages from all around the world that just watch us from the periphery uh, and and they change their lives because they saw us do it. Yeah. Um, you'd be amazed at what your husband will do. Um, I, I started this diet um, and, and I'm going to uh, hopefully my wife when she listens to this doesn't make me sleep in the doghouse but um, when I yeah here we go so when I started this diet um, I had tried everything else and failed and and so I said honey I'm going to do this so like I've said many times I started eating sausage and eggs and I would literally eat a pound of sausage and three eggs for breakfast every morning and I did it for six months straight and um, now my wife comes from a family uh, her mother was a home ec teacher so you know fat was the demon in both their household and the school system and so um the fact that I was eating this much fat uh, just made my mother-in-law cringe. And my wife had a hard time trying to change her, her paradigm in that regard. Um, but it came, it came to the point where I was doing this and seeing success. So that example told my wife, there's something here, but, but we had to understand what it was. The second component is what's your why? Now for me to do this, I had to have a reason to do it. And my reason was really my father, you know, I, my dad died at 50, 58 and, um, and, and he, and I was going down that same road he was on and I realized I had young kids. And if I didn't do something drastic because of what I had seen in my life and with what I do for a living, I knew that at 57, I'd have to pick out a pine box for myself. And so I told that to my wife, I said, honey, this works works and I'm seeing it work and the labs are better. And if we, I don't do this for the rest of my life, we, we are going to be burying me at 58, 58. And that was her why. Yeah. So she, you have to pick your why, you know, you know, be an example. That example uh, it will help others, but you have to, you have to know why you're doing it. What's the real reason. And then the third thing is, is, is explain it to your spouse. This is why I'm doing it. This is and enlist their help so that they will help you. And if you have a direct conversation with your spouse and I had to say, honey, I'm going to die. And if I, if I don't fix this, I'm going to die. And I, I'm, I'm asking you to help me. Well, my wife literally changed her whole tune and for a year and a half became the greatest low carb advocate I have ever seen. Embraced she, the she, bacon grease. Oh, she embraced it. And to this day, there's a jar of bacon grease on our, on our kitchen, on our counter. There is. So, I've seen it. And there's like 40 low carb books in the cabinet. And she, she can, she can pick out a recipe out of those books with, with blindfolded. And so she truly became my advocate. And so you have to enlist the, your spouse in that regard. And the last thing I'll say is you need to understand your trigger and your, your spouse needs to understand their trigger. I would bet money that there's a trigger that's driving that, you know, eat everything in the house kind of mentality. Yep. I had it uh, and I know the triggers are there and the triggers still exist to this day. And, um, and, and if you truly look at that, you'll, you'll find that's the case. Now, um, you know, friendship is essentially um, love, admiration and respect and some fondness that occurs with people. And that's what a true friendship is. And as you, as you gain respect by, by explaining what you're doing and you, 
um, have admiration. But when people watch you, that example that you show gives people admiration for you. The difference between a friendship and uh, romantic love or things of that nature is that, that is that the fondness becomes dramatically more, greater. And a lot of pe- people think that if you know if they work on their their, their romance, that their their fondness will and their uh, intimacy will get better. Well, that's actually not the case. What we find is that as you increase the love and admiration and respect component of relationships, that in a marriage the 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 fondness and the intimacy gets naturally better itself. So as you work on those pieces of being an example, identifying trigger, what's your why, uh, and being open and verbal with your your spouse or your partner, you're going to find that's going to be very, very helpful. And so I'll get off my psychological soapbox now and, and say, but that's that's really what I'm finding is really important with patients I, I talk with one-on-one. This has been Love Talk with Dr. Nally. <laughs> coming to you live. I, I want to know, uh, Tiffany, is it this uh, coming up? You're not in the doghouse, my brother. How could she not love you? Oh, you'd you'd be amazed. (laughs) It's called marriage. So, uh, Kathy, and and with your husband having the three stints in November, hopefully that was his wake up call that he needs to do something. So I think you've got a nice symbiosis of a lot of things. You got great information that Dr. Nelly, love talk with Dr. Nelly gave you today um, to to kind of encourage you and you be the example. And I I, I agree with him. I think you living by example is going to help more than anything. Well, we are up to the iTunes review portion of the show, and this is where we get lots of reviews. We had three today to read, Doc, here on the air. Head on over to iTunes, type in Keto Talk, Jimmy Moore, Adam Nally. You'll find the show and leave your review. The first one's a little bit long. The second two are a little shorter. Uh, Love Lift Y'all. That's the name of the uh, person that left the first review. Uh, My name is Deborah. I'm 38. I first started keto out of fear about four months ago. I had an abnormal brain MRI result that terrified me. My father has Parkinson's disease, and my mother had a major brain hemorrhage in her early 50s that almost killed her, including a history of many more close relatives who have died of brain tumors and other neurological diseases. A good friend of mine told me about keto, so I decided it was the only thing in my power I could do until I could meet with my neurologist in two months. I have never been on a diet as I've always worked out and have been naturally thin my entire life. So this was purely for my brain health. This abnormal MRI scare was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. After discovering my brain was fine, I got a little depressed thinking about going back to the way I was eating before which I thought was really healthy. My diet consisted mainly of organic meats and veggies and grains such as quinoa, black beans, sweet potatoes, and bread, which were all my staples. However, I had stomach pains almost every meal since I was in high school, a ton of bloating, lethargy, acid reflux, and a plethora of other health issues. Sometimes my stomach aches were so bad that I could hardly stand up. I decided to stay on my diet, realizing how amazing I felt and don't plan on ever giving uh, getting off. I've inspired several friends to try this diet as well. I've been on keto, uh, a keto high ever since. Your podcasts have been so wonderful and hilarious. So thank you so much for doing this. I plan on attending the upcoming keto conferences and getting back to school to become a holistic keto nutritionist. Deborah, at a girl. Cool. Wow. We need more Deborahs out there doing what she's doing. So that's awesome. It is. 
And then Ketonian Anthony says, Jimmy and the Doc know their stuff. These podcasts are loaded with useful material, and they've helped keep me motivated as a Ketonian. For those of you who are new to keto, it's not a lie. Once you get adapted, it's smooth sailing. I was a skeptic for a long time, teeter-tottered with food addiction for almost a year before I made the plunge 100%. At the three to four week mark, the energy return. The brain fog cleared and any food addictions just went away. I lost 38 pounds in two months without even hitting the gym. It's no joke, folks. Join us. Thank you, Ketonian Anthony. And then the last one, Murder Mama is what she calls it. Love me some keto. Great resource to learn what to do and what not to do, no matter how far you are in your keto journey. Thanks, Jimmy and the doc. So if you'd like to leave your review for us, head on over to iTunes, type in Jimmy Moore, Keto Talk, Adam Nally. You will find us there and leave us your review. So that's it for this episode 58 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Definitely head on over to ketotalk.com. But Doc, before we leave, some people might be like, are you going to talk about that new study that Dr. Hallberg, Sarah Hallberg, just released? Yes, yes, we will. It kind of just broke while we were in the midst of, of doing the show prep for today's show. It broke. So next week, we'll do a full dissertation all about the work that she's done uh, showing the efficacy of a ketogenic diet for uh, diabetes patients. And I'm going to tease you with one thing. 89% of the study participants were able to come off of their insulin altogether and diabetes medications altogether or greatly reduce them. So that this is going to be huge for us to talk about, Doc. Isn't that cool? It's That's awesome. Not surprising to us. Not surprising at but all. It's no. so good to see people like Dr. Hallberg stepping up. I mean, she's just a medical practitioner just like you are, but she got so frustrated, I guess, by the lack of research that she said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And she's been out there kind of nose to the ground for a couple of years now doing this study and doing it well. And so I'm excited that the research is getting out there and we'll definitely talk about it in episode 59 next week. All right. So until next Thursday, you guys, we'll see you then. See you then. You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, then head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Keto Talk. We'll see you again soon. Thank you.